The draft process is a uniquely North American idea instituted by the NFL in 1935 as a way to add parity to the sport. The rest of North America followed, and today it's hard to find sports coverage in the U.S. that doesn't involve a draft process. Seeing as how the NFL draft is the longest-running sports draft in the U.S., it's had its fair share of wild and crazy happenings, some of which lingered long into those teams' futures. This is what you don't know about our favorite NFL draft stories. Welcome to What You Don't Know About Sports, where we delve into the forgotten stories, teams, and athletes of sports history and question widely held takes on today's sports. I am Blake, and this is Matt. Howdy. And today, on the cusp of this year's NFL NFL, NFL, NFL? NFL draft, <laughs> NFL draft, we're going to tell you about some of our favorite draft stories. Now, we have almost 100 years to choose from. And so I don't know, uh, this is, we get, we can only cover so many, but these are, these, we will each share a couple of our, uh, we will each share a couple of our favorite over the next 45 minutes to an hour or however long you decide to listen. Uh, Matt, which league's draft process are you the biggest fan of? Cause they're all a little slightly, slightly bit different. Do you like one more than the other? Um, uh, yes, in two different ways. I think, um, I think the, the biggest event is like the NFL draft and like the easiest one to watch is the NBA draft because it happens in a night and you're done and the picks (laughs) quickly accordingly. Uh, the NFL draft, none of like, even, even opening night is going to be miserable. If you just want to watch the first round, like if you got a team picking in the late twenties, just go to bed because you're not going to see it. Um, but so long yes terrible the process i love the way that the nhl's draft process i love the way that works um you don't necessarily have to declare for it like you do in uh football and basketball you get drafted and you can get drafted while you're in college and while you're in junior hockey in Canada, if that's your option, and you can continue to play there. Like the teams can draft you knowing that you intend to continue play in junior hockey or NCAA hockey. Uh, and that's fine. They don't pay you. So you're still, you know, NCAA eligible, uh, which may not even be an issue nowadays, uh, but um, in the other sports, but, but it allows you some assurance, right? If you're a college hockey fan, you're not in the phase uh, that college basketball fans are right now waiting to see if that player is declaring for the draft. Are they hiring an agent? Are they um, are they going to try just testing to see which? First of all, every college basketball player should declare for the draft, get feedback, and come back. Like that's what they should all given that every process. Year. But why not? But in, yeah, in hockey you don't have to do that. Like you can find out at the end of each year. You know, did I get drafted this year? Yes. Who did I get drafted to? Okay, they keep my rights until I graduate college. And if I didn't get drafted, then I need to play better next year because nobody wanted me the way I was. Right. Like, so, right. so it's, 
it's just some assurance. It makes so much sense to do it that way uh, for the teams and the players instead of just open-ended nonsense like it is in football and basketball. Yeah, that's similar to baseball then. I was, I'm was i not very familiar with the hockey part, but similar to the baseball thing where like uh, a baseball team will draft – will draft you, but you don't have to go play with them immediately. Obviously, you don't have to go play for them ever. But if you ever do decide, that's the team that you've got to go play for. And so I don't mind I don't mind that because yeah, like you said, it gives a little more flexibility to the players. It's not like a I am forever foregoing my college, my collegiate eligibility. I can never take this decision back. Like that's a hard thing. Well I think it was harder before NIL, specifically in basketball and football, because you're making more money now at a col- as like a high level college player with NIL deals than you would in low level NBA maybe or especially G League or possibly overseas. And so there's so much more benefit to staying in school, which is what I loved about college basketball early in my life was like you knew who was coming back except yeah. That's not even true today because you can just leave and be immediately eligible to play at another school. So it is completely different, but it's, but the, anyway, the, the, the NFL draft, the combine I feel is mostly useless. Uh, the interviews are mostly useless. They ask some of the silliest questions of these kids. And I don't know the, the whole draft being three days and it's, it's just, it's just too much of a, it's just too much of a show. Yeah. It, it's less about business and more about a show, and I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay, so go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that college thing. I remember, again, like as a kid being psyched because this guy or that guy was coming back, and, it, and it, does, it does make a difference. It does make things more enjoyable, right? Like even this year with all the Wild Wild West kind of stuff, it was nice as a – more this year, I was more casual of a college basketball fan, unfortunately. Uh, so when <laughs> state state played Carolina, I knew who the dudes on the court were without having watched four or five Carolina games just by chance, like I would have normally because they were all mostly there last year. Like it makes a difference, especially early in the season too. Like you know who who the guys are on the court. It's not like a brand new start every single year. So that was yeah. But anyway. The yeah. draft. Yeah, that that is true. But um yeah, the, the NIL thing and the transfer portal is changing everything. So it's less like it's less like you have to instead of assuming you're coming back until you declare to leave the school or until you declare to the NBA draft, it's almost like you're it's almost like they're leaving for the draft or they're leaving to the transfer portal unless they say I'm coming back. Like they're making the I'm back thing such a big deal. They're hanging like everything's hanging, looming above everybody. And they it's I don't know. It's it's all that's almost backwards now, too. Anyway, yeah, we are going to tell you a few of a couple of our favorite NFL draft happenings. I'll call them. They're not necessarily uh, they're not all necessarily bad. Some of them are good. Some of them are funny. Um, but we're, we're going to take turns and Matt has the honors to go first. So I'm going to shut up. I get to go first. Um, we, this story combines a couple of things that have become kind of super popular 
to talk about it during NFL draft season in the last few years into one hilariously inept story like this. Some of this reminds <laughs> me of like the office a little bit. So uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant uh, was not a thing for the first 50 years of the NFL draft existing. Uh, but in 1976, former wide receiver Paul Salata decided to just kind of gin up the whole last pick, the finish to the draft, which at the time wasn't even like a big deal. Didn't have the popularity it does, but he wanted to celebrate the last player. So he started calling him Mr. Irrelevant. And that player, starting from the very beginning up to now, gets to go to California. There's a golf tournament in their honor. There's They get to go to Disneyland. There are several dinners and roasts and parties with celebrities for being the last pick. If you're the next to last pick in the NFL draft, you're probably getting cut in two months. If you're the last pick, you get to go to a pool party with celebrities. That's definitely a, a change in fate, even if you don't get anything else. Uh, you also get a trophy of, uh, it's it's sort of like the Heisman Trophy if you've never seen it, uh, but it's actually a man fumbling a football instead of stiff-arming someone. And all of this is fine and dandy and great. That person in modern times is on the national news just as much as the, not as, just as much as the first round pick. But if you're watching your your 630 network news, they're going to talk about Mr. Irrelevant. So you get you get your name out there, you get a little bit of fame. And by 1979, just three years later, it was also a little bit of a PR vehicle for the teams, being the team to pick last and have Mr. Irrelevant during that uh, notoriety is going to meet all these celebrities. Your team name was out there, too. So that was there was a little bit of benefit to you to pick last. And that was something that in the 1979 draft, the Steelers and Rams both knew now, if you know, if you if you remember this story from a few years ago where the Minnesota Vikings like timed out on their pick, the NFL has a rule where if you don't make your pick by the allotted time, if it's not in, the team behind you can get there immediately on the clock. They can submit their pick and pass you. And so <clears throat> the this would come into play in Mr. Irrelevant as well. The LA Rams were the next to last selection in that draft but they wanted to be last. So they let time elapse, which put the Steelers on the clock. However, the Pittsburgh Steelers also wanted to be the last pick in the NFL draft. So they also ran out of time, putting the LA Rams back on the clock. And in an exercise in absurdity, the two teams continued <laughs> to go back and fourth, not making a selection at all, but allowing the after me, sir. No, after me. No, af or after you. Why am I saying after me? That would be just going, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you're going first in that sense. Yeah. So they would. They continued this until Pete Rosell, master negotiator of the NFL and the commissioner, eventually stepped in and said, "Enough is enough." He forced them to pick in the correct order. So the Rams had to pick next to last, and it gave the Steelers the final pick in that year's draft, Mr. Irrelevant. This is also when a new rule came into place. It didn't come into place for that Viking selection because they didn't do that on purpose. Uh, but there is a rule called the Salada Rules after Paul Salada, who created the whole uh, idea of Mr. Irrelevant. 
and it prevents teams from passing late in the draft so that they can go last. In other words, you would just, if you give up a selection and end up falling all the way to last, you just forfeit that pick instead of getting to play these weird games. So there's the time where everybody, they didn't want the first pick. I'm sure they did. Uh, but there was they were tanking for the last pick. Never going to hear what, that sentence again. What an irrelevant rule. For an irrelevant <laughs> draft pick, <laughs> like, what a what a waste of legislation if there were one. Well, there's a lot of yes. stupid laws, but this is <laughs> this. I mean, I, I don't. I did not know that this was a thing. Like, I well, I knew I knew Mister Development was a thing, obviously, and I knew that there was some notoriety that came with it. But are teams still? Like the teams aren't tanking to do it. Obviously, it's random now, mostly random because like the draft order in the first round is certainly not the draft order in the seventh oh, because time, of yeah, trades, trades and stuff. Yeah. And so, like, if I guess, I guess it saves some time. I mean, the draft's three days. Like, we don't want it to go three days and a couple more hours for God's sake. You know what? Anyway. <laughs> yep. Yep. The time Mr. Irrelevant was truly irrelevant. Right. Good on Paul Salata for making such a hoopla about all of this stuff, getting a trip to Disneyland and stuff. But, I mean, it is it is hard to believe that someone gets all the notoriety and the publicity and stuff for being so bad that you almost didn't get dressed. Like, it's, it's just oxymoronic in my mind. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But then, uh, but then Brock Purdy shows up and, and gets to be Mister Irrelevant and like, I don't know, the hero of the Forty Nine ers season all at the same time. So that's true. That's true. I doubt anyone else could have done what he did. That's just a weird happenstance. But good for Paul Salata for making Mister Irrelevance everywhere somehow relevant. Shout out. Yeah. All right. So I am going to tell you the story of a football player by the name of Norm Michael. He was a fullback at the University of Syracuse in the 40s. Um, He was born in Providence, Rhode Island, and he would go on to play at Syracuse. He played fullback primarily. Uh, He he at some point had, uh, he at some point had his career long run of 58 yards against a rival school Colgate at the time uh scored a touchdown a few plays later but then on the next possession he broke his leg and was out for the year he would go on throughout his college career to have quite a few different uh quite a few different injuries he was uh he was quoted in a newspaper a local newspaper as quote keeping the doctors busy by how many injuries he had during his collegiate career he suffered torn arm muscles fracturing wrists, arm, a nose, and an ankle. Now, when he was healthy, totally different story. He was he was one of the fastest guys, a uh, really really good utility player, really good runner. Uh he was also described in another newspaper as quote a Rocky River Ohio boy who was touted as one of the fastest backs ever to play for Syracuse. He was he was a great blocker. That's primarily how he was used. Um, but when he rushed the ball, he made a lot out of it. 
Uh, he in one of the one of his collegiate seasons, he averaged ten and a half yards a carry. It's quite impressive. Uh, f- following his following his Syracuse career, he was drafted in the twentieth round of the nineteen forty four NFL draft by the Philadelphia Eagles. Funny thing about the draft in nineteen forty four is it was during a particular worldwide incident known as World War II, in which he was serving at the time of the draft. Norm Michael was serving, and he was stationed at Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama during the NFL draft. So when the Eagles, there was obviously the, the much less hoopla around it then, the Eagles could not reach him. They couldn't find him. So they drafted him, but couldn't tell him that he had been drafted. He would go on for the next 55 years, not knowing that he had been drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in the 20th round of the 1944 NFL draft. When he got out of the Air Force after the war, he ended up working multiple sales jobs in and around Syracuse. He was a small business owner. He retired in the late 70s. And then one day in 1999, he was reading a local newspaper. That newspaper had a list of all of the NFL draftees who played football at the University of Syracuse. And he read his name in the paper, having no idea that he was going to be on such a list. He said, quote, that was the first I heard of it, I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. I guess I may have missed my window of opportunity. And apparently, his son at the time sent the Eagles a letter wondering if the Eagles happened to owe him any money, any signing bonuses or anything just for drafting him. <laughs> Think of it. He, made a, he also made a comment right after that saying, wow, the interest the interest in such money 55, 50 something years later might have been worth it. So uh, he <laughs> might have been worth it. So 55 years after he was drafted, Norm Michael found out that he was drafted by reading the local newspaper. It's that's it's wild how non communicative the NFL draft was in its early days because. It just it just was like a like a local rec sports draft. Like everybody just gets together in a room, picks picks players, moves on. Um, so yeah, it, it makes complete sense that a guy that was fighting in the army in World War II that they didn't know and that they couldn't find him, but they still picked him. It, and it, it almost seems like that's kind of the 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 start, the precursor to now you call the guy up and and uh, you talk to him first and make sure everything's okay before you before you actually put the pick in, like the families all know before um, beforehand. Um, which I think they've talked about on TV before that the the images they show you of the family like celebrating the draft pick are not necessarily live images of them celebrating the draft pick uh, and then they catch you up later. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, definitely interesting. Yeah, there, there's another funny story from back in the day that we're not going to, we're not going to talk about fully in this episode, but um, it was a Pittsburgh Steelers pick when Tony Dungy was the defensive coordinator. And I think in the eighties 
Yeah. And they wanted somebody, they wanted somebody like five picks ahead of where the draft was currently at. And at the time, of course, everyone older than us knows this, but when you made a phone call, there was no call waiting. There was no beeping or anything. And so you just tied up the phone line. And so basically the Steelers called, I don't remember the player's name, but they called this player basically saying, Hey, we want to pick you in like five picks or whatever it was. All you have to do is stay on the phone. That way, any, any teams that wanted to pick him beforehand couldn't reach him. And so they had to pick somebody else. And I think it worked. I think that I think what if I remember that that would involve some USFL drama too, where they um, were kind of signing players in secret. So that was you, you almost had to call a guy to make sure that you were not wasting a pick on somebody that wasn't going to play for you. That's but that's yeah. that's the kind of sneakery I'm here for. That's the kind of loophole that seems fun. Just keep a guy on the phone and and hold him there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That uh, that's pretty good, right? Um, so, I have the honor of providing you with today's trivia question. I love it. All right, so because we are talking about the NFL draft, of course, uh, there's a lot of history that goes on—not just funny, weird stories, but there's a lot of history that goes on around this time number one picks and so forth. Wink, wink. Okay. (laughs) So what I want you to tell us, there are three teams in the NFL who have never had the number one overall pick. Can you name them? No, I mean yes. I could name all thirty-two teams. And Just name all thirty-two, them, and you have to be. Three right. of them will be correct. <laughs> um, no, there are three teams that have never had the number one pick. They've never started the draft. They've never been on the clock first. Only three, which is kind of surprising. So, um, I think that eliminates the oldest teams. Because when I was researching, I found that uh, for a while, the number one pick was a bonus pick. They like did a lottery before the lotteries were cool. Uh, they just randomly yanked out a, a team. And if you had got the number one pick, you were then eliminated next year. Like you weren't in the bag. Uh, so it had to go through everybody before it could do it. So I think none of the old teams uh, are there because they were bound to get it at some point. So, got to be a new team, or like an expansion era team. New-ish, yeah. And then they would have to have expansion brethren, because if you're just an expansion team, you're going to be the number one pick that year. So, it's not the Browns, and it's not the Texans. That's correct. Okay, because they came in the league by themselves, so those two are gone. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's not the Panthers because they're number one this year. Correct. Um, all right. So, how hilarious would it be if I just reasoned it out? I was like, it can't be this team. It Dude, can't go be ahead. Team. I'm here no for questions. it. If you can do that. No go ahead. Just, no, we don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> Completely like cancel out everybody. 
Um, I'm trying to think of a team that I know hasn't had the number one pick, and I'm not entirely sure. Okay, what divisions? Let's narrow it down a little bit. What divisions are those three teams in? The I'll, okay, I'll, I'll give them to you in age order. Okay, specifically that might help. Okay, yeah. The yeah. oldest of the three teams plays in the AFC West. The next okay. oldest team plays in the NFC West. And then the newest of these three teams play in the AFC North. AFC North. So AFC West, NFC West, AFC North. Yep. All right. So the... Now I'm blanking. Trivia is so hard in the moment. On the spot. It's like, woo. So the AFC West, if I say the name again, it'll come. Okay, so the AFC West is the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chargers. Yep. Um man, I don't know how you I don't know how you could just pull them off the top of your head, but Yeah. <laughs> what colors? I'm just playing. Um That would narrow it down <laughs> now that you know the conference. Oh, this is uh, so hard. So the old, those are all old, though. I mean. Yeah, but uh, I'll give you a hint on this one. Um, They're not all old, old, but. uh, Well before our lifetimes, but yeah, not like original. (laughs) Um, I will say this team, this team being the oldest team, they never made the first election. Perfect, perfect. But right, so we're on the same wavelength. They the achieved first, the first yeah. pick a week or so after one particular draft. And that person played for them, I think, for his entire career. Now I'm confused by the statement, <laughs> but I think... <laughs> I think I th- in my head I was thinking that the Chargers maybe never actually used the number one pick because they traded it. Is it the the homeless Chargers? It is not the homeless no, Chargers. Okay, all right. It is not the homeless so, Chargers. I'll I'll give you a little bit a little bit more detail into that exchange because you'll know it. Okay. The Colts drafted a person first overall in this particular year. The Denver Broncos. The Denver Denver Broncos acquired John Elway in exchange for two players and a first-round pick the next year. And then John Elway stayed with the franchise. So they never made the pick. They they achieved one after it had been taken. Because he was very loud about not playing for the Colts, and they took him anyway. Which yep. is bad business. <clears throat> like I don't know how they got anything for that. Um, yeah, they got a quarterback, but, an offensive tackle, and a first round pick the next year, which turned into a guard. So yeah, that was solid. The other two. So, yeah. um, all right, all right. So what do we got? NFC West and AFC North. NFC West was the next oldest. Yep, and that's the that's the Niners, Seahawks. Niners, Seahawks. Who else is in that division? Oh, Niners, Seahawks, Cardinals. That's the weird division. 
there's like non-Western teams in the the West. They're like not ocean. What's the fourth team in that division? This the is Rams. Uh, the Rams. Cardinals, Rams, Niners, yeah, Seahawks. Yeah. yeah. So what that thing I just said about not being Western teams, completely wrong. Um, <laughs> not the Cardinals, because we've established in previous episodes they're the like one of the oldest teams in the league. Uh, yeah. So it's not them, which leaves the Niners, Rams, and Seahawks. Seahawks were definitely an expansion team in the 70s. So I'm assuming, I'm thinking they had a number one pick. Uh, So it's not the Seahawks, I think. (laughs) No, I'm so bad at this game. The Seahawks have never had the number one pick. Never. They uh, they've drafted number two overall twice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never had number one. So they would have. So they would have been number two instead of number one when they came into the league. They they were they had the number two draft pick in their first season in 1976, and then they took a they took quarterback Rick Meyer in 1993 in number two overall, but they've never picked first bust oh man okay that makes sense though. that makes sense because the 49ers like i know they've had a number one pick i don't know why i was thinking that and then <sighs> the rams the rams took golf okay. very recently yeah, yeah. the one overall so yeah all right all right now the last team is afc north we've already yep. said it's not the browns and then we got steelers it's pretty obvious isn't it <laughs> we got steelers ravens <laughs> bengals Yep. Burrow was number one. Burrow was a number one pick. So Burrow, so it's not the Bengals. Oh, and the Steelers are old as all get out. So no. So the Ravens, but it's interesting. No, that's right. Because their franchise history starts in Baltimore. They don't get credit for the Cleveland Browns stuff. So that makes sense. So they're, they're technically an expansion team without having the expansion team thing. So they were established in 1996. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Even though... Which confuses people that don't know that they moved from Cleveland. Like I was reading an article for this thing and it made it seem like, so Ozzie Newsom was the general manager or was with the team in Cleveland when they moved to Baltimore. And then it was talking about something that had happened in his first draft. And they were like, he took, he took this principle with him to, from, from to Baltimore. And it's like, <laughs> That's the same team, dog. Like it was the same people. They just moved everybody. That's <laughs> so, not what you think it is. It's conf- I know it's confusing, but like this, it was the same organization. They just counted it as a new one so they could put the Browns back later. But okay, yeah, Basically. that makes sense. Yeah, so they were the, the, they're the newest team, even though they're technically one of the oldest teams. It's that Hornets stuff, Charlotte yeah. Hornets stuff, which yeah, New Orleans Pelicans are an expansion team, even though. They still had Chris Paul. Even though they relocated with an all-star? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Baltimore's highest picks came. They picked number four in 1996 and number four in 1997. Uh, uh, One of those picks they used to take Jonathan Ogden and then took Peter Boulware. So... (laughs) Pretty good picks they made solid, you know, the size of the ball. Solid first round picks there, yeah. <laughs> Even though they weren't number one. I think they won a Super Bowl mm. with those dudes. So uh, I think uh yeah, just out. just how many years in? Four years four seasons into yeah, being four seasons a thing. Into that. Yep. 
Yep, Wild. Won, won a title. So good for them. Good for them. Um, okay. Yeah. Those <clears> make <throat> sense in hindsight. Uh, I got one of the three. That counts as a win, right? One of the three. I mean, it's always a win. <laughs> it's always a win. We're always learning because I don't know how to pronounce some hockey player's French last names. Patrick and I'm, I'm always learning. You know what I mean? So it's a win no matter what. You're never forgetting Patrick Waugh one of the greatest goalies of all time. Ever. No, I'm not. <laughs> never, ever. All right. Let's do round two, shall we? See. And uh, with the first pick in round two, I'm giving you a story that is full of everything you would want. From 1950s sports, we got a racist <laughs> old man. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna make it. To- <laughs> we do have we do have a stately old man doing stately old man things. Uh, we do have a weaselly old sports writer pretending he's smarter than he is and possibly telling a fib. Uh, and we got governmental intervention as well. So, uh, the, the, whatever you want to call them, the nameless team from Washington, if you want to call them the Redskins or the football team or the commanders, I don't care. The football team that plays in Washington was owned by George Preston Marshall. And he being the furthest team South, when he moved the team from Boston to Washington, did not want to integrate at all. Like, was very vocal about this. There are other leagues and other owners and other sports where people did not want to integrate, and usually they did it by saying, well, we would love to have an integrated team, but we can't find anybody that's good enough to replace our current players. So we're not. We're not going to make our team worse. They would just lie about it to justify why they weren't integrated. Not Mr. Marshall. He just straight up said that he was a Southern team appealing to Southern fans, and he did not want to integrate. He had no desire to. It didn't matter if they were good enough to play on his team. Uh, He was not going to have an African-American player uh, on his watch. D.C. itself was a pretty severely segregated city, more uh, like the South than you would imagine in today's climate. And so he played into this idea. He picked Southern players from Southern colleges. They had a marching band, uh, partly because that mimicked the Southern college football atmosphere. Uh, That's why they created it. So he was really trying to appeal to that kind of fan base. Um, And again, to give him credit, he, you know, for, for as much credit as he deserves for this, I guess he was openly admitting that he was not going to integrate and had no desire to. In addition to this kind of unsavory viewpoint, he also didn't really like local sports writers that much, uh, in part because many of them wrote articles asking him to integrate over and over and over and over again. And he had the idea or the thought that sports writers didn't know as much as they thought they did. Right, they they could talk a good game, they could write whatever they wanted to, but they didn't actually know anything about sports. And so one day he decided to put that theory to the test. Supposedly, we'll get to that in a second. He <laughs> gave a 1952 draft pick over to the Washington Post's Mo Siegel. Now Mo Siegel is a famous sports writer and sports broadcaster. He actually worked for the team for a while, broadcasting games. Uh, over the radio and on television. 
So he's 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 one of the I think he's in the the what the team's Ring of Honor, if I'm not mistaken. So like this is a guy that has ties to the franchise. But at the time, sports writer Marshall didn't like him that much. They struck a deal that he would let Siegel pick a late round draft pick in 1952 to prove his point. You pick your guy, the best one you can come up with, and we'll see how he does. Siegel decided to use that opportunity to try and become part of Washington team history. And he had been tipped off that Tennessee Tech's Flavius Smith was African-American. And so when it came time to make his pick, he had Washington select Flavius Smith, a tight end from Tennessee Tech. Supposedly, Marshall came up to him and said, congratulations on being the first sports writer to draft a player. And Siegel said, congratulations on integrating the Washington Redskins. And shook his Now, there are a couple of caveats to this story. First of all, we're not entirely sure this happens. If you look it up on the internet, uh, if you look at official records, you will not find Flavius Smith as being drafted in 1952. Uh, As conspiracy theories do, or at least people who want to protect a good story, uh, the allegation is that perhaps Marshall, who was very well high thought of in NFL circles, got Pete Rozelle to fudge the records. I mean, there were 30 rounds in this draft, 360 players. Most of them didn't play much. So he got him to fudge the records to make it look like Flavius Smith was never drafted. This story didn't happen and everything's fine. That is one explanation for it. The other explanation for it is that this story itself comes uh, from a pro football anthology article that was written by Mo Siegel. He wrote this story about himself, and that's the origin of it. So take that as you will. Either way, this story, I told you it has everything you want from a 1950 sports story. You can imagine it going down in a smoky bar because the wily old sports writer who was going to prove he knew more than he did, was also wrong. Flavius Smith is white. So, Love that. Uh, so Love so they, that. Both, they both were wrong in different ways. But there you go. I think that that is incredibly witty of Mo Siegel to try and do. But that does just speak to the fact that you really had no idea what you were drafting when you were drafting players that long ago because there, there, the process was not the process it is now. And yeah. so, so to to be like, oh, somebody told me he was yeah. black. So, so I, I, I think this might be funny, and he just does it. I mean, even if he was, even if it was real or whatever, I think it's totally, uh, I think it's totally plausible that Marshall called Pete Rozelle or something and was like, um, do not Get send this person to my team. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I'll forfeit the pick or something. Don't send me this person just because yeah. of how adamant he was against the whole idea of integration and stuff. Turns out he was white anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered, but it is funny. It is funny on, um, on, on most Eagles, uh, wit. And he's like, Oh, you, you can let me, uh, you can let me do this thing. Let's see what happens. And then he, Got it wrong anyway. <laughs> Got it wrong. So, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna draft an African American player, but I don't actually know any, so I'm just gonna go off the <laughs> it's it's just so much pride in one story. You can't it's a lot. But through it and eventually eventually just so we kind of cap the story the washington football team did integrate in 1962 because they were building dc stadium it's rfk stadium now on national park land and the secretary of the interior would not allow them to actually open the stadium unless they had integrated uh, they tried to draft Jim Brown, but Jim Brown said, I'm not playing for you. Uh, so they traded him. They traded him. And in 1962, Brian Mitchell gets the credit uh, as the first African-American player for Washington. Funny you. Uh, oh, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the last team to integrate, by the way. In I believe that. Minus, <laughs> hockey, minus hockey, I guess, because there's still hockey players, hockey teams that haven't had African-American players. But yeah, the other three leagues, Washington, the last one. That's incredible. And speaking of Washington Redskins doing great things for their franchise long term, like passing up on Jim Brown because we're racist. And I'm going to selling tell you, the team. Thank you, Daniel Snyder. And, Let's then, go. and, and now, uh, now selling the team to uh, to a group who's who owns other franchises who are a little bit more successful than the Redskins have been. So good luck. At least but it was the songs, of, That's what I thought. Oh, good night. Yeah. You would have had, you would have erupted. Thought it was going to be that the hundred percent that I was like, he's going to sell it in spite. Anyway, sorry. I keep it. I thought it was either going to be the Saudis or Jeff Bezos. Turns out we were both wrong. Yeah. Speaking on the Redskins uh, and, and ways that they cursed their franchise for decades. I'm going to tell you the story about a running back who played for, the University of California in Los Angeles, Cal Rossi. All right. Uh, he uh, he played for them in the 1940s. <clears throat> Excuse me. He played running back and defensive back. He rushed for almost 1,500 yards during his career, which puts him which put him third on the all time list at the time. He averaged 5.85 yards a carry, which was the highest Ooh. in school history at the time. He once rushed for 169 yards in a single game in 1945, and that record stood for 15 years. And nice. he ended his collegiate career with seven interceptions, including one season where he had three, and he led the team. So he was playing both sides of the ball very successfully. Not only while while he was at UCLA was he a fantastic football player, he also batted 456 while playing collegiate baseball. Won all won all coast honors and he hit above 300 in the other two seasons that he played collegiate baseball. Hmm. So just all around incredible athlete, right? So yeah, if you're the Redskins, nice, nice if you're the Redskins in the 40s and there's only 12 teams and you think you want a decent player, this guy might not be a bad one to to wager your bets on, right? So, in the 1946 NFL draft, in the first round, ninth overall, the Washington Redskins select Cal Rossi from UCLA. The problem was, Rossi was not draft eligible. He was <laughs> only a junior. 
and could not play professional football yet. And so not only did the Redskins uh, do whatever they did uh, with messing up Jim Brown, to him not deciding to come, Cal Rossi didn't want to come, but couldn't come at first. And then in the next year, in the first round of the 1947 draft, the Washington Redskins selected... Who? Who do you think? Cal Rossi. Cal Rossi. But he (laughs) opted to never play professional football and declined to come and play in the NFL altogether. So in the 1946 and the 1947 drafts combined, the Washington Redskins used two first-round draft picks on a single player who would never play in the NFL. Cal Rossi would end up uh, becoming a teacher, a high school teacher in California. He would go on to also be an athletic coach. But further along in his career, he became an advocate for teachers' rights, worked for the California Teachers Association, and focused on higher education, and he retired from his work in the education realm uh, for the CTA in the mid-1980s. But he, his name, that is a fun trivia question, because he is the first football player to be selected twice in the NFL draft, (laughs) both by the Redskins, both in the first round, and he would never play a professional football game. The the number of gaffes by that organization in the draft <laughs> is amazing. It in because because there are there was a little mini dynasty in the middle of all that. Like they became one of the most popular teams in the league and in an entire region, <laughs> despite doing things like picking the same player twice, wasting two first-round picks and not getting anybody. Um, and th- just a couple other things that they did as well, just that we saw in passing. But, like, yeah, the, the fact that it's amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, which, I guess, which I guess is like the precursor to the weird combine stuff and the weird interview questions. Like, I guess – at some point, they started off well-intentioned. Now they're wild and, and pseudo-intellectual, like Google job interviews, right? Like, if you were a tiny person, how would you jump out of this bag? Or whatever stupid question they ask. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I so, so, but yeah, it comes from not knowing that this dude had no interest in playing professional football and you picked him twice. And you didn't even know what class he was. I just. Yeah. <laughs> The time of of limited communication was a much simpler time and also a much more error-prone time, I guess. Yeah, we we laugh about uh we laugh about the use of cell phones and social media and and all of that stuff today, but we really couldn't imagine life today without it. Because when we're reading these stories, it is it is still baffling that these things happened. In the first place, in yeah. The, yeah, yeah, that they even that they're even possible, right? Because we w- we don't know any different, really, and especially ki- especially people younger than us, they don't know any different either. And so it is funny, but you're right. I think that instances like this, this probably wasn't the only one where, uh, surely not the only one, especially this early, 
where you were just a star athlete, but you just there was not enough money in football to entice you to go play because it wasn't the billion dollar industry it is today. It was just something to do back in back in the whatever 30s, 40s, 50s. So you did it, but you didn't make a whole lot of money doing it. And so it was something to do if you didn't have anything else. But this guy was passionate. Cal Rossi was passionate about teaching and he worked his entire working life uh, to to fight for education and higher education and stuff like that. So he had a better calling. He probably made more money being a teacher than he than he made being uh, being an NFL running back in the day. So uh, which is hard to believe. But it's it's this probably did lead. This is one of the instances, at least, that probably led to the whole process. Like, oh, we have to you have to declare you have to put your name in the pot before we're picking your name. And you've got to go through all these tests to show that you're able, you're physically able, you're mentally able. You you have to you have to do all these things and. It's so complicated, but it's like anything else in life, really. Like even like even stuff like legal case law. Like it's incredibly complicated today because there's years and years and years and years and years of stuff that made today's law what it is based on countersuits and appeals and all that stuff. So it's all complicated today because of how incredibly bad it was back then. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. You, you, somebody does something silly. You make a rule. You make a process. Eventually, people don't know where the rules of the process has come from, and so it 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 kind of loses the the rules of processes can lose integrity sometimes, and uh, and and you get you get people asking wild questions in interviews and and whatever. I, I the the combine I think is is part of a. A bigger thing. I saw a story of a guy who claimed to like be the fastest dude um, in a forty, and it turns out that the forty he ran was actually probably a thirty-eight that was just missed. <laughs> missed. Like nobody was paying too much attention. They drafted the guy, they signed the guy. I can't remember what team, but they got the training camp, and he was supposed to be this super fast dude, and he's out here running like a four-seven. 40 when they get to training camp they're like what is going and so they they made sure that they made <laughs> uh in pre-draft workouts from then on but but um yeah there's there's an origin story for everything and, and most time it's it's uh pretty innocent it just turns into well, some silly things as it goes along but yeah the nfl draft is is one of those things where it's it's ripe for goofiness because it is three days and it is or it was 20 rounds or 30 rounds so there's there's plenty of room for mishaps and mistakes and and wit and goofiness to show their their hands Uh, it's been it's been cool to research i'll tell you that yes very cool and i bet i bet other sports have it too especially i mean imagine the stuff that baseball players go off and do while their rights are still being maintained by a major league baseball team like that would that might be an interesting something to look into also uh, because yeah. they go i mean they're still there's still a thousand rounds in the mlb draft <laughs> and they go i mean they, they play 23 years in the national football league as a member of the montreal expos it's like i'm sorry what <laughs> that's a trivia question answer for all you folks out there too by the way if you can figure out who that was but it's it is 
I guarantee other leagues have it, especially with as old as this is. And it's like, it's even funnier to us in 2023 because of how terrible communication was back then. And so there wasn't social media. You didn't watch the draft on TV. Nobody had cell phones. Uh, I mean, even, but even as early or even as recently as like the mid two thousands, Alex Smith, the quarterback, Alex Smith got called out to uh, meet with a team from like Utah, right? He came, he showed up at this team's facility and the team was like, uh, what are you doing here? They were like, uh, well, you sent for me. They, the team, I don't remember who it was, but the team actually meant to send for a different Alexander Smith, who was like an offensive lineman or something from an, from another school. They wanted to meet with him. They brought the wrong Alex Smith in, and this was less than 20 years ago. So, even as good as communication is, you're still you're still going to have funny stuff like that. But I would be interested to look at other sports also. I think that would be great. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm sure. I'm sure some college kid with his draft rights uh, secured somewhere has gone out and done something stupid. So um, that would probably be funny to look at. But yep, hundred percent. Cool. Yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, if y'all have any ideas or any of uh, any other fun NFL draft stories, shoot them our way. Go uh, go hit us up on social media, like, follow, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And that is what you don't know about our favorite NFL draft stories. And until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of What You Don't Know About Sports. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave us a review, five stars only, and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen. If you have a great sports story, we want to hear about it. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WYDKAS Podcast, and on our YouTube channel at What You Don't Know About Sports Podcast. All episodes are written, recorded, and edited by us. Stay tuned for the next episode.